So our time this evening is going to be built around two main points. I had three, but now it's two. Uh, those two points are restore brothers, and the second one is bear burdens. So restore brothers, and then bear burdens. So point one, look with me at verse one. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. My brother-in-law was a big-time soccer player. He played Division I soccer for UNC Greensboro for four years, and during a playoff game, he cracked his face against that of another player. Uh, he went down in immense pain, um, and the trainers ran over to him. I believe he actually continued playing after that. Um, and to save anybody who might be squeamish here, let's just say his nose was not where it was supposed to be. Um, now, before his nose could heal, it had to be set in place. If not, then it would heal incorrectly. It had to be set in the correct place. It had to be set appropriately in order for the healing to take place. Now, this setting is a skill that must be done gently, tenderly, and with great care, and with great skill as well. So the nose had to be restored before it could heal. Now, the Greek word for re restore in our passage this evening is the same word used to describe mending a bone, <clears throat> or setting it into place, or fitting a bone together for its proper use. So it says, if anyone is caught in any sin, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Spiritual re restoration is an essential part of the church's life as a family. Every person in Christ's church is a sinner, and sin is an insult to God. It is spiritual treason against the God who created us, and it says, I want my will to be done and not God's will, and it separates us from God. Left alone, sin will destroy us. It will destroy our families. It will destroy our friendships. It will destroy our livelihoods. It will destroy the witness of the church. And ultimately, sin will send you to hell. Sin must be addressed. The most loving thing a Christian can do for his brother or sister who is in unrepentant sin is to seek to restore him. Not just accept him for who he is. Not just turn a blind eye in order to maintain the, the friendship. Not just hope that they figure it out for themselves. The most loving thing a Christian can do for his brother or sister who is caught in sin is to seek to restore him. Now, I think it's important here that we mention that Paul is not discussing legalism here. He's not saying that you need to confront each other so that you won't have any sin, so that you can be perfect before God and earn your salvation. He's not saying that. No, the entire book of Galatians is actually pushing against that fact. Rather, he's saying, you are free from the law of sin and death. You have been bought by the blood of Jesus. You are a new creation. So now help each other live out that truth. Dan reminded us, I think it was two weeks ago, of this truth when he preached from the preceding text in Galatians 5. 
You are not seeking to put sin to death in your life in order to be saved. Rather, you are seeking to put sin to death so that you can live out who you already are in Christ. But anybody who has ever done this, anybody who has confronted another brother or sister about sin, knows that this is a very delicate matter. It can insult people. It can hurt feelings. It can strain friendships. It can alienate people. And just as setting and mending a bone can be very painful, so can setting and mending a human soul who is caught in sin, who is trapped by their transgression. It's so fitting here that we just heard Pastor Raymond's sermon on the perniciousness of our tongue and the guarding of our words, because our tongues can be destructive if left unguarded. And so Paul tells us how this ought to be done. First, notice, it says, if anyone is caught in sin, if anyone is caught in sin, it doesn't just say if anybody sins, right? There are multiple times when we should look past the sin of our brother or sister. Proverbs 17, 9 says, whoever, co- whoever covers an offense seeks love. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. There are countless times when our brother sins and we should look past it. We should cover it over in love. We should love them despite it. But here in this text, it says, if anyone is caught in sin. This language gives the impression of someone who is trapped in their sin, who is ensnared by their sin, who's committing a sin that is harmful to himself or to other people. Someone who is stuck and unable to free themselves out of their sin. We ought not to be going around pointing out the flaws of everybody that we see in the name of Galatians 6. But we ought to be seeking to help those who are trapped in their sin. Second, make sure what the person is doing is actually sin. Paul says to do this only if anyone is caught in a transgression. It doesn't say if anybody does something that annoys you. It doesn't say if anybody does something that you don't agree with. But only if we are caught in something that the Bible specifically forbids. Not just if somebody reads Harry Potter or not. Not just if somebody lets their kids trick or treat or not. Not just if somebody is an Alabama fan. Not just if somebody is a Republican or Democrat. Confronting one another over conscience issues is a great way to divide the church. And it's a tool that Satan loves to use to separate God's people. So third, notice the type of person who should do this restoring. It says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, it's no coincidence here that Paul just finished in Galatians 5, speaking about the fruit of the Spirit. Many parents in this room probably know that Steve Green song, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. I'm not going to sing the whole thing. Don't worry. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the people who should be restoring brothers and sisters should be people whose life is generally characterized by these traits. Now, it's not going to be perfect. None of us are perfect in this. 
but as somebody whose life is generally characterized by the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And so before I confront somebody about their sin, I should ask myself, am I joyful? Am I peaceable? Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I good? Am I faithful? Am I self-controlled? Am I loving? Am I doing this because I truly love this person and I don't want them to be deceived by their sin? And notice the fruit that Paul brings special attention to here. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Am I gentle? Paul knows that such conversations, such confrontations, if done poorly, will inevitably result in raised tensions, hurt egos, and friction in relationships. And so he tells us to do this in a spirit of gentleness. The instrument of spiritual mending is a surgeon's scalpel, not a sledgehammer. The instrument of spiritual mending is a surgeon's scalpel, not a sledgehammer. It takes supreme skill, the utmost precision, the wisdom of knowing where to cut, a.k.a. the questions to ask, and when to cut, when to ask those questions. You could ask all the best questions in the entire world, but if you do it at the incorrect time, then it could be that. Detrimental. A scalpel in the hands of a crass fool is a dangerous thing, and a sledgehammer in the hands of a fool is even more dangerous. And this is really, really difficult to get right, trust me. I have failed at this more times than I'm proud of. Which is why we need to ask for the Lord's help in this, to humble ourselves. Which leads us well into our last tip from Paul. Fourth, keep watch on yourself. The one confronting a brother over sin must do so with a spirit of humility. A spirit that is aware of the fact that he could just as easily fall into the sin that he is discussing. A spirit that says, outside of the grace of God, there I go as well. If I go into a situation thinking, I would never do that. I would never treat my wife like that. I would never treat my kids like that. I can't believe what he's doing. Then I really have no business confronting that person. Because rest assured, I could do that. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. One last word on this. Make sure you are the type of person who can be confronted about their sin. When someone else approaches you about your sin in gentleness and humility, they are doing something that is utterly terrifying. It is terrifying to go up to somebody and to confront them about something that they did wrong. What if they reject me? What if they throw my sins back in my face? What if they don't want to be my friend anymore? But they're also doing one of the most loving things that a fellow Christian can do. When someone confronts you about your sin, they're saying, I love you too much to let you deceive yourself. 
I love you too much to let you have this sin separate you and God. I love you too much to let you stay trapped. And brothers and sisters, I know that this hurts. My flesh hates being confronted by my, my sin. It hurts when someone tells me that I spoke in an ungracious way, or I was angry with my kids, or I have a complaining spirit. It makes me feel dirty. It makes me feel ashamed. It makes me feel like I let everybody down. But I don't think it's hyperbole to say that my greatest periods of spiritual growth have come when somebody has confronted me about sin. When someone came to me in a spirit of gentleness and humility about an area where I was struggling. If someone confronts you about your sin, don't put up a wall. Don't become defensive. Don't blame other people. But thank them. Thank you so much for coming to me. I know that is really hard to do. That took a lot of courage. And then take what they say seriously. Sin is deceptive. There are sins in my heart that I have no idea about, that I wouldn't know about unless somebody came to me and told me about them. We need other people to help us see sin in our lives so that we can draw closer to God and greater glorify him in this world. Spiritual mending can be a painful process, just as setting a broken bone is painful. But the sudden pain of restoring a brother alleviates the eternal pain that comes from sin, when done with a spirit of gentleness and humility. I have two other points. It's 559. <laughs> I'll just go into my, my, my second one, and we'll just see if I get the hook. But, um, so, point two is bear burdens. Much shorter. Point two is bear burdens. So verse two says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the, the law of Christ. Tim, Kel Tim Keller says, in order to bear another person's burden, you really must do two things. You must come up, up, up alongside that person, and you must take some of that burden on your own sh shoulders. So what does this look like? Coming alongside somebody else. This means walking with them, being there with them, just being present with them. Sometimes the best thing that you can do for a brother or sister in Christ is to not say anything at all, and to just be there, come alongside them, and bear their burdens. Sit with them, go for a walk with them, meet with them, just be with them. And it also involves taking some of that burden onto yourself, entering into their sorrow, crying with them, sacrificing for them, taking some of the burden onto yourself. And entering into somebody else's hurt is going to take sacrifice on your part. It's going to take time. It's going to take energy. It's going to take an emotional toll on you. It may mean that you give financially to help a brother or sister. Husbands and wives, it may mean that you go and visit your in-laws one more time over the holiday season. Fathers and mothers, it may mean that you need to watch the kids by yourself so that your wife can go and sit with a friend who is mourning. 
Ask yourself, how can I sacrifice for my brothers and sisters this week? What can I practically do this week to help somebody else in this church and to bear their burdens? And in so doing, you fulfill the law of Christ. What is that law of Christ that he's talking about? Jesus says in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus showed us the ultimate example of love. Jesus showed us the ultimate example of self-sacrifice, of bearing another person's burdens. By coming alongside us in our sin, by bearing the burden of our own sin on his back. And even now, he's continuing to walk alongside us in our sin. He's interceding for us before the Father. He's convicting us of our sin, helping us to put that sin to death and bearing our burdens alongside us. And when we bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are a breathing, living example of Christ to them. We are saying, I am willing to sacrifice my time, my energy, my money, because I love you. And what a beautiful way that we can be a picture of the truth of the gospel to our brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came down to earth. We thank you that you bore our sin for us. We thank you that we are wiped clean, that we are spotless, that we are perfect, that we are blameless because of what you did for us. I pray that that truth would motivate us to go forth and to love our brothers and sisters well. I pray that as we um, restore our, our brothers and sisters, I pray that you'd help us to do this gently and with humility. And Lord, I pray that you would be honored in all of these things. And we lift them in Jesus' name. Amen.